my children, my children exist because of a mouse. Because a mouse was in the right place at the right time. And I know some of you have heard this story, but when we were in college, it was my senior year, and I had seen Hope around since uh, freshman year, but didn't have the nerve to talk to her, because she, she is very pretty, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm this. <laughs> so in his senior last semester, and I'm part of the council that does uh, the Residence Activities Council at Moody Bible Institute. And it was fun. We'd uh, do events for the student body. And uh, at the time, they had a rule that you didn't have, you couldn't have TVs in your room and you couldn't go to movies. So being able to, to show a movie was kind of a privilege. It was a big deal. So we got permission to show Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible movie, to the student body. And... Uh, so we're going to have this, and we have just hundreds of students coming into Torrey Gray Auditorium to, to watch it on the big screen and just a, kind of a big weekend event. And before the movies, we would do some kind of little fun things. And I wrote like a parody of a song uh, that I played beforehand. Um, and well, probably, I don't know how many of you would know, but it was, it was a song. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, <coughs> And it ended up being a Star Wars parody, so, but we'll just leave the details to the side. Um, but uh, at the end of this, they turn on the bright lights, or the bright lights were on during the song. They turn them off and they start the movie, and I realize I can't see anything. I mean, I, my eyes have been adjusted, and I could not find my way anywhere. And I knew I had a bunch of friends up in the balcony, and I, I, see, I tried to make my way back. I just couldn't see anything. And so I just sat down in the front row, and I, I sat there feeling like a chump watching the movie by myself for the whole time because I just I couldn't see and I couldn't find my friends. At the end of the movie, they turn it off, and the, throughout the auditorium, as the lights come on, girls start screaming and, and kind of yelling. So what's going on? And as this is happening, I see a, a little mouse up on the stage. Remember, I'm sitting in the front row. And what had happened is in Mission Impossible, there's the scene where uh, they're lowering Tom Cruise down into this super secure room by this, by this cable, and the guy's holding the cable up in a vent, and like a rat comes by him. And somebody thought it'd be funny to get a, a duffel bag full of mice and to release them into the crowd at that moment. And they did this, but the thing is, nobody really noticed until they turned the lights on. And as they did, there were girls that were, you know, picking up their jacket to, to put it on, and uh, there's a mouse. And so some people are, are freaking out. But I, I see this mouse on the stage, just kind of front and center, just kind of looking there. <laughs> I'm just, I don't, I don't know what's happening yet, but I'm intrigued. So I go up and I, I pick up the mouse, and I'm looking at it. And Hope and a friend of hers were sitting uh, kind of front center, and she says her first words to me, which are, can I see your mouse? And the rest is, is history. Um, you know, if you're looking for a strategy to meet a girl, I, I don't know how you orchestrate that to, to replicate it. There are other things that happen, but uh, how many things had to happen just right? And you think of, the reason I'm talking about this is because this message today is talking about God's sovereign control over all things. Just his, his providence. How God somehow, his, his unseen, his invisible hand, can just orchestrate all these things in the way that he needs them to be. And I really mean that. My kids, I think, would, are, would not exist 
if it wasn't for a, I guess God could have found some other way, but for a mouse to be in the right place at the right time. Because uh, if it's not me and Hope, it's, it's not the same kids and it's somebody else. And from our perspective, well, you know, there's, people are just what happened, but God foreknows people from the beginning. And he had this, this was a plan. And I think about this, whoever, um, I found out later, because uh, I was standing up in my, uh, my best friend from high school was getting married, and I was standing up in his wedding, and it's his best man, and he was in a different floor at Moody, and a friend of his asked, hey, tell the story about how you met your wife. And I told this, and they started kind of uh, nervously talking to each other, and eventually they said, okay, we'll tell you. Like, we didn't want to say before because we didn't want to get in trouble, but uh, my best friend from high school tells me he's the guy that released the mice. And you think of this, all, what would happen? I mean, these mice are making their way, and there's, there's feet and different things. Somebody moves their feet this way, and the mouse goes this way instead of that way, and my kids are never born. <laughs> I, you think of all the different little intricate things that happen in life. All of the little things, you know, because you left, uh, you know, home, you know, at, at a certain time rather than 30 seconds later. You know, you missed the accident, or you hit the stoplight, or a certain song comes on the radio that inspires you to think of this rather than that, and you have an idea and you change businesses. There's all kinds of these crazy things that happen because they're just little things. And so we need a big God that is in control of the details. Down, If he's going to orchestrate this, and that's the kind of God that I think Scripture presents to us, we started this series about explaining divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And this is a big topic. It is a big, mind-blowing, deep issue. But what we're trying to do, at least what, what I'm hoping to do, is to give you different building blocks. And that for each of these, um, that you can be reasonably convinced that, yep, this is scriptural, this is scriptural. And then we keep building upon that to hopefully construct a framework of, of thinking about this. And yes, we recognize that this is beyond our pay grade ultimately, um, but there are things that God has given us, and we are responsible to believe. All the details as far as exactly how this works together, yeah, that, that, that's beyond our capacity, but we need to receive and understand what he, what he has given us. So last time we started this off, and the first kind of building block is that God's glorification is the ultimate purpose for everything. That is the ultimate reason why God plans, allows, ordains everything down to the detail. Is he has a plan for himself to be, to be magnified, to be glorified throughout all of this. And this always leads to, to his glory, which also is our good, because God is glorified when we find our happiness in him rather than something else. So when he is glorified, he gets the glory, we get the happiness. That is the ultimate eternal win-win situation. It's a beautiful thing. Sin disrupts that. Selfishness disrupts that. But that is what God planned from the beginning. So now the next two steps we're going to look at, and we're only going to get partway through this one. I realize we're not going to finish this one today. But the second statement is that the Bible teaches that God is completely sovereign over all things. And I want to try to do our best to, to look at Scripture, and I want to convince you that this is true. 
At the same time, when we get done with this, we're going to look at a, uh, the, the, the parallel truth, which is simultaneously true, that the Bible teaches that human beings are responsible for their choices. So on one hand, you have divine sovereignty. On the other hand, you have human responsibility. And which do you choose? Which is it going to be? What we're going to say to you is it's both. You need to believe both of these because the Bible teaches both of these truths. And people will say, no, you, need to, you have to pick one and throw out the other because they don't fit together. Well, if the Bible teaches both of them, then they must fit together. You know, maybe we can't figure it out. Or maybe some people, they don't fit together because we're thinking about one of them wrong or the other one wrong. And we've made them incompatible, but they don't need to be. But if the Bible teaches both of them, then they're true. And God has it figured out, and we just need to believe both of these. So we're going to start with this idea of divine sovereignty, that God's control over all things. And I want to explain a little bit what I mean by that, just just to be clear on this. Because there's some people that will use the phrase divine sovereignty, but they don't mean what... What, what I mean and what I hope that, uh, that you will come to believe if you don't already. Because um, everyone wants to say God is sovereign. Say with the, at least God has the, the right, you know, to control us. He has the right to do this. But some people think, well, he has the right to, but, you know, things are pretty out of control. Or he's given up his power. He's limited himself and uh, he's trying his best, but he's uh, kind of hands off. And he really feels sad about the bad things that happen to you, but, you know, he just... There's only so much he can do. When we talk about this, uh, what I mean, what I want to try and demonstrate is a few ways to say it, that God has ordained everything that comes to pass. Everything in life, everything in history, the big details, the small details, the pleasant things, the unpleasant things. These are all part of his big story. These are all part of his big plan. And they would not have happened if God had not foreordained them to come to pass. Another way to say it is that down to the smallest detail, absolutely everything is part of God's ultimate plan. Every detail. And it's not, it's not just the, the, the big giant things. Because even the small things like this, how many times are the, even the big things directed by the, the small things in life? You know, how many times have you, think about you get an eyelash in your, uh, in your eyeball while you're driving, and you find that even a small thing can have huge, huge consequences. You know, in a war at the right place, a grain of sand stuck in the wrong piece of equipment, you know, and chain reaction, who knows? The battle is lost, the war, who knows? But so God is, and we're going to see, Scripture teaches this. One place, we're going to look at a lot of scripture, but in Ephesians 1.11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, okay, so God's marking us out ahead of time, and according to his purpose, he's got a plan, he has a purpose, God who works all things after the counsel of his will. So this doesn't say that there's, there's some things that, that come to pass, that are part of his, his sovereign will here. And later on, we're going to talk about a difference between sovereign will and moral will. But this is God's sovereign will, his, by which he uh, decides and decrees beforehand everything that, that unfolds and comes to, to pass in, in history. 
It's not all things, but it's everything. According to the counsel of his will, his plan. And um, people in the past have, have thought about this. Uh, one of the confessions, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, puts it like this. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. It would take a long time to really unpack that, but it's saying that this is, this is uh, from before the beginning down to the detail, not in a way that makes God the one that's morally responsible for sin. You can't pin it on him in a way that say, God, you're to blame. You need to, uh, you know, God, you need to go to jail because of, of the this, this sins that people do. It doesn't take away our will. We still do things that come from our heart. Our will is still functioning um, in, in that sense. Uh, and by the way, now the Westminster Confession, um, it's very helpful. We, we wouldn't agree with every detail in it. You know? But I'll say this, there's the, uh, the London Baptist Confession of 1689, which basically says the same things. Now again, you say, well, yeah, but these are confessions, they're not scripture. Yep, I, I agree. And confessions disagree with each other, and so that's not our, that's not our ultimate authority. Um, but I just wanted you to see this, uh, the way that some people have articulated this. But we want to look at scripture, and what does Scripture say? And I think it does back up uh, what these uh, statements are saying. Therefore, when we, when we explore this, when we talk about God being sovereign, and it means for God to be in control, you think of you know, the, the sovereign over a nation, they're the one that's in control of this. It doesn't mean that he is just, uh, what I hope to persuade you to believe is that it doesn't mean that God is just generally in control. Okay, it doesn't mean he's just in charge of the big, big picture, but the little things are up to us. Sometimes uh, people have described it. I used to think this was a good illustration. I used to believe like this, that and maybe you've heard this one, that it's like being on uh, an aircraft carrier. And you can, you know, walk around on this aircraft carrier and you, you have this freedom, uh, but eventually you're going to go to wherever the aircraft carrier is going. And for a while I thought, well, that's, that's a pretty good illustration. And, but I came to later think, you know, that's Scripture is, is saying something beyond that, actually. God's sovereignty, um, again, it doesn't mean that God just tries his best. He loses sometimes, but he'll win at the end. Like I said, it doesn't mean he just has the right to be in control, but really isn't. And there's some that will even say, well, God is sovereign, but in the sense that he uh, sovereignly gives up his sovereignty. So, you know, he... He chose to be blindfolded or chose to have his, you know, arm tied behind his back and not intervene and let things out of control. But it's his choice to let things be out of control, so he's still in control. Well, no, that's not the biblical picture either. So, God's uh, sovereign not only over the, the little things and the big things, but, but just everything. And over things that even seem insignificant and random to us. All things, the good, the bad and the ugly. And, and as a reminder, what we see, even as we look at this, it's not going to take away from statement three that we saw before, that human beings are responsible for their 
choices. But for now, though, uh, let, let yourself just, I hope, be impressed by the wide array of passages from Scripture that make it clear that God is sovereign over all things. We'll get through some of these this week, and we'll pick it up the next time when we get together. But whether, you can, whether we can figure out how this is work, you know, we have to start by just going to Scripture and saying, what, what is Scripture communicating? And I just want us to see that there is a lot in Scripture that talks about this. And even, it may seem like we're throwing a lot of Scripture at you today, but this is only the tip of the iceberg. Now, there's verses, but there's whole big themes of Scripture, you know, the, uh, that, that demonstrate that this is true. So, I have a, these grouped into at least six categories. Hopefully we can make it through uh, the first few. First I want to talk about is that God has unlimited power. God is um, uh, omnipotent, you know, omnipotent. He has, he has all power, all ability. Because if he didn't, well, maybe God would want to be in control of things. Maybe he would want to direct and cause things and somehow make sure that things go the way that they ought to ultimately, but he just can't because it's, uh, it's beyond his ability to do it. There are a lot of things in life that we would like to be able to uh, ensure that it works out a certain way, but we can't because we don't have the ultimate ability to do that. You know, things where you, you promise to be somewhere for something or to do something for somebody and maybe you try your best, but circumstances change and it just, it isn't able to happen. So, we've already seen Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Think of what this verse is saying. What is God able to do? Is he able to do close to what we can think or imagine? No, it's, it's beyond that. Is he able to do exactly what you could think or imagine? Anything that you could think or imagine, God could do that. No, this is saying that God can do far more abundantly than anything that you could ask or think. That if God had his purposes and his reasons for it, there's, there's no prayer request that you could make that is beyond really his power. God is able to do these things. That shows us our smallness, too. We can't even imagine something that is more powerful or, or more, that is tougher than what God could do. So God has unlimited uh, power. In the book of Job, at the end, of, at the climax of it, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose or, or plan of yours can be thwarted. I love the word thwarted. You know, it sounds like you know the, the, the criminals, uh, the the bad guys, the villains. You know, they're up to their schemes, but they get thwarted. You know, by the hero of the story, and they they can't do what they ought to do. You know, uh, you know Thanos can't succeed. He's he's thwarted. Um, but does that happen to God? No, not ultimately. Even if it looks like it is temporarily. It's, it's not. No plan of God's can be thwarted. Proverbs 21.30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. 
Who is going to take him on and win? Nobody at all. Uh, the way that the older NIV said it, no plan can succeed against the Lord. You're not going to out-scheme him. You're not going to out-plot him. No one can do that. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You and I, we don't do all that we please. You, we have to-do lists that are uh, undone. Boxes with no check marks in them. Things that we realize eventually take it off the list. It, it ain't ever going to happen. And there's things that we, we hope to do, we wish we could. There's things that not enough willpower in our life could cause it to happen. There are things, some things you can't just will certain things to happen. You can't just plan for things to happen or work hard. But God, it's saying here, he does all that he pleases. What he wants to do, he can do. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. says, I am God. There is none like me. Okay, so he is different. We are limited in power. We have a little bit of power. He's got, he's got all of it. There's none like me declaring the end from the beginning. And for in ancient times, things not yet done. He knows the future. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. Again, so many things that we purpose to do. And it remains undone and will never be done. Things we fail at, things we can't accomplish. God, his counsel, what he decides, it is going to happen. And he will accomplish it. Maybe not in our time or our schedule, but he will according to his schedule. One last one here. Daniel 4.35. This is said by, on the lips of Nebuchadnezzar after he's humiliated. He's the, he's the king of Babylon. I mean, he is the world leader at, at this time, and God humiliates him, you know, kind of taking away his sanity, so he's out running around in the fields like an animal for a while. And after he comes to his senses, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can stay his hand. I mean, no one can hold back his hand, you know, and, and keep him from doing what he wants to do. Or say to him, what have you done? This is just some of the verses. God has unlimited power. So as far as God being sovereign over all things and ensuring that his plan comes, uh, results in the way that he designs, it's not for a lack of power. He is able to do this. If, if he didn't have unlimited power, he might want to, maybe he can't pull it off, but that's not the problem. A little side note, think about this too, you can really only have one omnipotent being, because what if you had two different omnipotent beings, and what if they had a disagreement, and one wanted to do this, and one said, no, let's do this. Well, whoever loses, turns out you're not omnipotent, are you? But we have one God, and that's one being. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God, equally same being, and they, they share the same desires. They share the same will. They're not moving in different directions. So God has unlimited power. Hopefully we can get through uh, at least two more of these. Uh, we're going to keep building just to see what God is, is capable of. God has control over nature. 
over the natural world, things that we would think, well, this is based on uh, cause and effect. You know, the weather, you know, people can predict the weather, <laughs> kind of, unless you're in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but they can predict certain things and model certain things, you know, there's, and if you're a naturalist, if you don't believe in God, then ultimately it's just a matter of one atom bouncing into another. It's, it's all pool balls hitting each other in energy. And, um, but hey, this is saying that God is in control even over all these things, um, the natural world. And there's, there's a lot in Scripture of God, about God being in control over the weather and things that we may not you know, like or ice on the ground or snow or it's too hot, too cold. Here's a few of these verses. And one, this is from Jesus' ministry. He's in the boat with his disciples, and they think it's gonna, they're going to drown, and they wake him up, and uh, a storm comes up. Jesus had been sleeping. Jesus calms the storm, and the disciples, they're, they're terrified by this because they realize, they, they say, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And they are afraid you think they'd be just happy, like, oh, great, Jesus calmed the storm. They realize, oh, we're in a boat with somebody that is more powerful than waves and a storm. Oh, boy. But they realize he has control over all of that. There's a lot in the Old Testament, too. Are there any among the false gods? This is Jeremiah 14:22. Are there any among the false gods, you know, the idols of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope in you, for you do all these things. Ultimately, he's the one behind this. Yes, there are natural principles. There's cause and effect in this world, and there's things. But somehow, in some way, that, that God is still behind all of this, orchestrating it. He's uh, able to, to, to manage all these things. We don't know exactly how that works, how much of it he's set in motion from the beginning, how much he's able to, he's tweaking from moment to moment as he upholds this universe. That's not really the main point. The main point is that he is control of these things. If there's three inches of ice and we can't come together, well, God's in control of that. Uh, if we're able to be here, God's in control of that as well. Book of Job 37, 6, and the lips of Elihu. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. You know, the next time it's snowing, God is, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour, he, he commands this. There's no rain that gets to run renegade apart from him. There's no snow that gets to do its own thing apart from his plan. One last one. Psalm 135, 6 through 7, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. That's a strong statement again right there. What he wants to do, he does in heaven and on earth. So it's not just one or the other, both in the seas and all the deeps. It is he who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. So God's in control of nature over the, over the weather. Many more passages uh, we could look at. And, you know, whether it's nice weather or whether it's, you know, terrible weather, recognize that people used to understand this. They used to refer to things as this was an act of God that happened. 
you know, it seems like it was a bum rap for God just to get blamed for tornadoes and, and lightning, because uh, really everything is, is of God, but they recognize that God is, is behind all of these things, and, so, and none of these things happen apart from his control. Let me give you one more example, one more category. God has control over the nations. And we live in a world where people are, um, from time to time, you know, pretty worried. What's going to happen with this nation or the other nation? Uh, you know, things with, with our nation, what will, will happen? Who will go to war against who? You know, what leader is going to press the wrong button and, uh, you know, start the end of all things? Um, and there are things that we need to be praying about. There's things that we need to be responsible for to, to the degree that we can. Pray for our leaders, elect the right leaders, pray for wisdom for them. But scriptures, we're going to see, teaches that ultimately God superintends even all of this. That even the nations, these powerful leaders that can do what they want, they're not running around on their own. That they have to, they, they may not realize it, but they are part of God's plan and he is using them. Again, from Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, uh, the, the world leader at the time, he confesses the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That ultimately God is going to uh, put in place who is leader. He can give it, he can take it away. Now remember, we also believe in human responsibility. And... Um, we can talk more about this later on, how these things fit together. It does matter who you vote for. It does matter the political process, especially in a democracy where our leaders are chosen by us. Um, and it does matter what we, we pray for, for our leaders and these things. But ultimately, it's God has a plan that is going to unfold. Psalm 33, 10 through 11, the Lord foils the plans of nations. They can plot, they can have their CIAs do this, and they can, their equivalent, they can make their plans and all of this, but the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plan of the Lord stand firm forever, the purpose of his heart through all generations. Second Chronicles 26, and this is from Jehoshaphat, he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. As far as we're going to be able to get today, we have three categories here. The next three, I mean, if, if you were impressed by this, God's control over these things, when we come back in, in several weeks, we're going to see that God has control over people and over the decisions that people make. Even, even kings and rulers that God uh, is in control of their heart. God is in control over chance things, the casting of lots, the, the rolling of a dice, just insignificant things that you think were just random. Nope. God is in control of even those things. And God has control even over, finally, disasters and suffering. And in a way evil in a way that he controls this and he superintends it not in the same way that he's over good but in a way that even these things do not happen apart from his plan but i want to finish here by giving you 
Well, hopefully, even if we said amen right now, there's enough that you could think about this and, and apply this. But just to make this real clear for you, because I, I think this is so helpful, realizing and really believing that God is sovereign, what this is going to do, this is part of giving you a firm foundation to trust God, to rely upon him. That when things seem out of control in your life, when you're going through the hardest of times, and you don't, why does this keep happening? Why does this do this? God may not give you the answer, but if you believe these three things, that it's like having a stool made of three legs. Okay, if you have all three legs, you can stand on it. Okay, you can rest on it. You take away one of those legs, you're going over. And these three legs, basically one is that God is completely sovereign. And the other two is that God is infinitely wise. He knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. We've seen verses just today talking about that. You know, he knows all these details. He knows the right ways to get to things. And finally, God is perfectly good. God is perfectly uh, good and he is loving to you. If you are a believer, you can know that he is good in all things. Even if you're going through the toughest times because he, he died on the cross. He died on the cross for you. He already, he already did this. And if he did that for you, then how is he not going to also, along with his son, freely give you all things? Romans 8.32. So these two things, they make up this three-legged stool. And think about it. If you take one of these away, if God is not completely sovereign, he might have the best idea for you, and it might be a loving thing, but he just can't pull it off. He just doesn't have the ability. In the same way, if he's, not, if he's sovereign and good, but he's not wise, you know, he might end up with some harebrained scheme that doesn't actually work and doesn't actually get there. And what about if he was sovereign and wise, but he wasn't good? Wouldn't that be terrifying? If, if God could do anything he wants, and he knows the way to make it happen, but his, his goal is, is just to make you miserable and to be against you and to, to make you suffer, that would be the worst thing imaginable. But Scripture teaches us all these things. And when you put them together, then his promises rest on those things. We can, we can depend on him because of those things. So whatever you're going through, whatever challenges, whatever, whatever problems, whatever heartbreaks that you've been having, I pray that God would just, through the Holy Spirit, give you a sense that he is in control. He is using this. He will take what is maybe genuinely bad, but he is going to turn it and he is ultimately going to use it for good. And what that good is, it, it's not just our, our quick wishes, it's ultimately his glory, which is also our happiness in his glory. And that's valuable. That's worth it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that nothing at all comes to us apart from your loving hand. And Lord, I pray that, that you would be with people that are in this room and those that are experiencing challenges, those that are experiencing heartbreak, frustration, hurt, whatever it is, Lord God. Let them have confidence in knowing that, that you, their, their Father in heaven, the one that loves them, 
the one that loves them so much that gave his son to go to the cross for them, that you ultimately are in control of all things, Lord God. And we can trust in you. We might not know the explanations of why and how all these things are happening, Lord. But just let us trust you. We thank you. You are sovereign. You are wise. You are good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.